Welcome back to Digital Health 101. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. Now in this episode, we get to speak to Maner Sivak, a former computational biologist who is now CEO of Memora Health. Now Memora uses chatbots to help with the very complex task of sharing information between healthcare providers and their patients or even healthcare systems. We will explore the various approaches taken to create the algorithms that power these chatbots and that can get patients the answers they need about 60% of the time while creating space for busy healthcare professionals to take care of more complex tasks. Join me in conversation with Manev Savak as we discuss chatbots and their best applications in healthcare. Manav Savak, welcome to Digital Health 101. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Vinny. Oh, super excited to have you back. Back because you and I have talked to many ministers in this podcast, but at many conferences, events, and I'm a big fan of the work you do. And I'm really, really excited to share with folks insight into the whole concept of these chatbots because they sort of came out of nowhere and they're everywhere now. And we need to understand how they work, what they're good for, et cetera. And there's no better person than you to talk about them. No, absolutely. Introduce yourself. So tell people why you're the best person to talk about them. So by training, I'm actually a scientist. Prior to Memora, I was a computational biologist, studied biochemistry, and originally was pretty kind of intent on, on building a career in research and spent a lot of time with just firsthand and secondhand exposure to patient communication broadly as, mm-hmm. as a problem set. One of the really big takeaways that I had from, from that exposure was the fact that there's a lot of complexity and a lot of challenges into how patient communication takes place in, in the world of healthcare right now. Started a company a little over four years ago called Memora Health, which helps digitize and automate complex care workflows and messaging, and have learned a bunch around how different types of conversational systems work well in healthcare as part of that. Absolutely. I love the way you phrase that as conversational systems, opportunities to share information between uh, patients and providers, but also providers and patients. So let's talk a little bit about this concept of the chat bot. So it's a, it's a kind of random name. Where does it come from and where did it get started? Yeah. First sure. of all, what is it actually? Sorry, I should ask that. What is it? Sure. What's a chatbot? So chatbots as just a fundamental concept are automated systems that allow for some form of interaction asynchronously to take place. They're not backed by a human agent. Chatbot, human agent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not backed by a human in any capacity. They are asynchronous, meaning that they take place entirely with some form of an automated system where you're submitting some piece of information that solicits some response from that automated system. And they're usually intended as a mechanism for distributing information or getting answers questions, or rather questions answered by individuals. Chatbots in particular have started to proliferate pretty extensively in the healthcare world for a handful of different reasons, of which the most important is that healthcare similar to a handful of other industries and and probably more than most is incredibly complex to understand. And there's a ton of information transfer that has to take place. And we're starting to realize that as that burden becomes increasingly high for both patients as well as for providers, there's a need to build much more scalable systems to do so. And as a result, chatbots have started to become very prevalent. But they didn't start in healthcare, right? No, chatbots as a concept started, I think primarily kind of as a as a tool for customers to service and customer support. So really good examples of chatbots that people have have probably used just day to day is every single time you call an airline and have to deal with the automated system at the beginning, every single time you see the little widget on a website where you can have an automated message with 
some sort of system. And in a lot of cases, even just very simple automated text messages that you get from a lot of the different organizations that you use every single day. Some of them are really good. Some of them are not that good. That's right. Yeah. So e-commerce is really where this all started good 15 years ago, I'd say. And it sort of worked its way into healthcare with a huge boost around COVID-19 and needing people to be uh, tested at the point of care, at the entrance point to the hospitals to answer several questions. But you predate all that as a company, but so does the evolution of chatbots in the healthcare space. So you know, you talked about the fact that the chatbot is asynchronous and it is an information gathering and information sharing tool, which means in the back end of it, it has to access information. Then does it often put the information back into the system or is it mostly a one-way conversation? So I want, as I want to get into the more the logistics of chatbots and how they actually work. So let's take that question. How does the information get accessed that the interlocutor is asking for in a chatbot? Where does that information live? Absolutely. So at a very, very high level, if you think about just the fundamental concept of what a chatbot is supposed to do, it's supposed to help facilitate information transfer, right? There's some cases where information transfer is incredibly complex and multifaceted and requires very kind of just complex, almost understanding of current state. There's cases where it's extremely transactional, one question has one answer every single time. So chatbots are built across the entirety of that spectrum where some of them require lots of very detailed training. Others require a very simple set of information. And the way that chatbots really, at the end of the day, work is they take some core data set, which is informing for all of these pieces of input, right? So for a lot of cases, for a lot of these questions that people can commonly ask, Here's a list of answers that make sense, mm-hmm. right? And that data set is being used to train some sort of system. Some of them are as simple as if somebody asks this question this exact way, this is the answer. Some of them are much more intelligent and involve the usage of artificial intelligence and have a lot of complexity to how they're built. But fundamentally, what it boils down to is having a really good data set that is informing for a set of inputs that the chatbot receives. What are the responses and the set of outputs that that system should be able to give? So connecting the question to the answer, a lot of complexity there. And you mentioned that artificial intelligence, and in there you probably mean natural language processing of some sort or, or even voice recognition in the context of a verbal chatbot. Let's talk a little bit about that data input. So you mentioned that some devices require very specific questions that have to be framed in a certain way. And I think most of these chatbots get around it by having simply a pull-down menu. But there's others that allow you to have a blank slate. You can just put in whatever you want. Those are very complicated, right? Let's talk a little bit about how does a piece of software look at that the information in that box and understand what how to answer it? Great question. So let's go through two examples of this. The first example is you get a list of options that you can select. Based off the option that you select, you get started on your path that a chatbot will walk you through and give you answers around. A really just simple way to think about that at the end of the day is those systems are really just decision trees where input X results in one of ABC responses. ABC responses, each one has subpoints one, two, and three. Each one of those has some sort of subpoint, and you go through the decision tree to get to some answer, right? Those can be written extremely prescriptively, and you can provide a good amount of control or a good amount of guidance to how somebody navigates from the original piece of information that they input it all the way to the 
final answer that they get. The ones where you have some sort of free text or free input that you're taking in, to your point, require a significantly greater amount of, of classification, right? So it's really fascinating to think about, I can tell this computer, which at the end of the day is literally just backed by tons and tons of lines of code, something, and the computer is going to be able to process what I'm saying and convert it into some intelligent targeted answer in an ideal state, right? The reality is that chatbots are extremely hard to build, which is why a lot of the times when you have day-to-day experiences with them, they don't give you the answer that, that you want them to give immediately. So two pieces to that. The first is for every piece of input that you give, there are certain pieces of that input that get abstracted out. In some cases, in the form of a decision tree, it's just the input itself that matters. And then you get routed to some sort of next layer in your decision tree. In the case of something that's entirely free text, it's figuring out, are there specific words in this input? Are there numbers? Are there any sort of clues in this input that help us understand what this person is trying to tell us, right? A really good example of this is, let's say that somebody is using a a chatbot in a healthcare context, and they're reporting around the fact that they may be feeling sick, right? There's ways to train that chatbot on saying, hey, if a, a user inputs any of these 50 keywords, and those 50 keywords are different types of symptom of, hey, I have a fever, I'm feeling nauseous, I'm vomiting, my foot hurts, then we want to go ahead and classify that as, this person is feeling sick, let's go ahead and ask this follow-up question of, if somebody is feeling sick, then we're going to ask the question, how long have you been feeling that way, Right. So it's really, at the end of the day, just boiled down to looking for particular clues in every piece of input. It's part of the reason why chatbots at the end of the day and any sort of conversational system at the end of the day is really only as good as the data that you give it. So if that system has a list of 50 inputs for, that indicate that somebody's feeling sick and somebody gives a response that may still be indicative of, of illness outside of one of those 50 inputs, the system's not going to be able to pick it up, right? So making sure that the underlying data set is as comprehensive as possible, I think, is is one of the most critical pieces in how chatbots are actually designed and implemented. So that's the input side. So you talked about having very specific data points of input versus open platform things. It's like, hey, I've got a headache. I got pain between my ears. I got my head hurts. All that has to be understood the same way to give the same outcome, which is super complicated. But there's also the output that has to be calibrated. I've read stories of health systems where they tried to inject a little humor in the answers and that got completely upset patients who didn't want to hear it. And also you have to be accurate. I mean, you can't miss something in that context. At the same time that, so let's talk a little bit about the outputs. How do you, how does the software decide on the outputs? Sure. It's a great question. So there's a couple of different ways. One is you'll take the clues that the user has given you use those clues to result in some sort of classification. In some cases, that is this input, if it has X, Y, and Z clues, results in us asking this particular follow-up question, right? In other cases, it's here's the full just text answer that we're going to give out, right? And then in other cases, it is we're going to use that input to dynamically generate a brand new response, right? Hmm. And build something entirely on the fly and have some sort of intelligence that tells us how to construct that response. The way that all of those different outputs are put together is as magical as it sounds when you first say it, 
is based off of some data that is used to train that system. So a good way to think about this is any sort of, of chatbot that's actually operationalized and used to date is only going to be able to give an answer that it's seen before. If you're asking the question, I feel sick, what do I do? Some chatbots are as simple as they'll go through an entire repository of data points that they've seen in the past and say, the last time somebody said, I feel sick, what do I do? This is the answer that was given, or this is the answer in our data set that we should be giving, right? So it's really just doing a quick search and that will inform what the output is. In other cases, it is, I feel sick, what do I do? Deconstruct the different words in that particular statement. To some degree, a good example of that is, are they asking a question about what they should do or how they should do it? Or should they do it, right? And understanding the intent, understanding what specific adjectives and verbs were used as a part of that. So feel compared to I am sick, right? Or compared to I don't want to be sick, right? I think is another important determination. So deconstruct the input, take each part of that and use it to determine one part of the answer. So if it's a what question, it will say, great, we know the intent of this question. And as a result, the answer should include something that is prescriptive guidance. So it should say, if you're feeling sick, you should, right? Rather mm -hmm. than how to, right? In which case you would answer along the lines of, here are instructions, right? So it's very much to some degree, like a very simple system of mapping on the back end of for every clue that you get, you match it to some sort of information that is going to stitch, be stitched together into some piece of information that goes up. Uh, not so simple. <laughs> that's very complicated, actually. But that's exciting to see the how the sausage is made, so to speak. Because in the back end, the fact that uh, some of these more modern platforms, probably like yours, can actually synthesize a new answer if there isn't a good one available based on its understanding of the nuances of the syntax of the uh, text that's input is, is pretty impressive. So let's talk a little bit about how effective these chatbots have been in healthcare. Because not every, there's a lot of things that have been managed with chatbots, which are not necessarily healthcare decision-making, right? Especially in the healthcare environment, you guys are very successful at helping manage more mundane questions like appointments and refills. So let's talk a little bit about where chatbots have been successful deployed and what kind of impact they're having, what actually numeric impact they're having. Absolutely. So particularly when people think about this in the context of healthcare, there are mind magically wanders the wonderful place of tools like IBM Watson and, and you know, GPT-3, where it's the promise of those systems was we should be able to ask any piece of question or put any piece of information in and get a very clear answer, right? And the reality is that healthcare is probably one of the hardest places to build chatbots and build any sort of conversational system just because there's so many pieces of context needed to actually inform the answer, what answer a patient should be receiving. I like the idea of framing it as context. Yeah, you need context to answer the question. It's very good. And as a part of that, the places where we have seen conversational systems generally and chatbots generally be the highest just yield is honestly the places that aren't as sexy, right? So it's answering the very simple questions. It's not answering a question of, hey, I have a 104 degree fever, what do I do? It's how do I take my medication? How do I schedule a visit? Who do I go to if I have a concern, right? It's kind of the very simple, just navigation piece for the patient where one, from the physician's perspective, they don't feel as if they're relinquishing control 
the thing that they're trained to do really well, which is practice medicine and guide a patient on what they should be doing. And on the flip side, you're kind of reducing the, the room for error and the variability for the patient by saying, look, all of these things that are still hard for you to do and that you still have to pick up the phone to do to understand, we can help you just navigate where to go to find the right information, right? So it's taking one step back from, instead of just giving them the end information that they want, guide them to the place that they should go to actually get that information. Right. The low-hanging fruit are the questions that need to be answered because they need to be answered, but don't need to be answered by a highly trained healthcare professional, whether it's my physician assistant or a physician themselves. And when, we, when, when there's a call coming into the office, we don't know if it's going to be for fever 104 or because someone needs an appointment. And so we staff them at the highest possible level. But what you're saying is we can unburden your staff of many of these questions so that they can answer only the questions they can answer. And the chatbot can help patients get the answers they need quicker, more effectively in a shorter time frame. So what percentage of calls coming into, say, uh, a clinic can a chatbot handle? So two pieces. One is the, the thing that I'll note kind of to your point that you just made is the place where chatbots at the end of the day are most helpful to synthesize it in, in one statement in healthcare is, particularly if you're talking about the clinical space, it's helping people practice at the top of their license. Take care of all of the lower hanging fruit and a lot of these administrative and navigation and coordination questions to allow physicians to actually focus on their clinical decision-making and use the information that they see from those systems to actually get to some clinical decision rather than trying to say, hey, technology is going to fix all of this. And as a result, it's either it answers 100% of questions or it answers none of them for me, right? As far as the percentage, I think it really depends. It, it's not a cookie-cutter answer. And this is one of the reasons why this is such a a challenge to bring into healthcare is if you take a really complex population of, of say cancer patients, right? The complexity of even administrative questions that they may have or the types of navigation that they need looks so dramatically different than it does for a primary care patient or than it does for somebody that's getting a colonoscopy. And as a result, the amount of data that you need, not just across the entirety of healthcare, every single one of those specialties for every single type of patient is tremendous just because from like a combinatorial perspective, there's so many pieces of information that are needed to construct the profile and construct the guidance that every single patient has, right? Or that every single patient should receive. There's some cases where there's really comprehensive data sets that have been built out, such as kind of medication libraries being a really good example of every single medication just from like a regulatory perspective, has to have very clear instructions on how it can be taken, what side effects it can produce, things like that. So in cases like that, response rates for, for chatbots get up to almost 90%. If you look at symptom management and actual, call it medication titration, response rates are probably in the range of 10 to 20%, right? Just because, once again, there's so much complexity that goes into being able to answer a question like that. That. So just to just underline that, so basically a chatbot, if it doesn't know the answer, will kick it up a level, right? Basically. And there's more complicated questions where the, as you said earlier, the, the data that surrounds the answer is so vast that in order to give a correct answer, the chatbot simply hasn't been programmed with all that information. It'll move it on to a nurse or somebody else to answer correct. In an ideal world, every single time it would do that. The same way that any system goes, there's false positives and there's false negatives that come up as a part of that, right? And the thing, the number one axis for design that I would say is, is critical in how chatbots are used and implemented is how do you reduce the number of false positives 
that any end user is going to receive from using the system, right? The stakes are significantly magnified in healthcare where if you accidentally give wrong information or misclassify some piece of information, you know, it impacts the, the direction that a patient's health takes, right? And the decision right. they're going to make for something that they're struggling with. But those are the healthcare questions. We talked to, we just said earlier that that's probably not what chatbots are currently at their top. It's more the, the simpler stuff. So if you're looking at simply just the, the calls to a clinic, a routine clinic, a primary care clinic, I've seen numbers in the 60, 70% range being promoted by many companies in the space. Is that, is that about fair that about 60, 70% of questions come into clinic? Most of them are for appointments, refills, simple questions that can be answered by a chatbot. Is that, is that a fair number? Yeah, I would say on average industry standard, we of what chatbots have really helped facilitate from lots of different companies that we've looked at from whether it's from just like a curiosity perspective or even a competitive analysis perspective is probably somewhere in like the 50 to 60% range. Yeah, uh, that's still a pretty decent chunk of volume that you're taking off the plate of the people answering those phones, right? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And and there's naturally a little more nuance to, to that answer of there's some cases where chatbots have been incredibly helpful at helping patients realize that they have a system where they can ask a lot of questions or helping people realize, <laughs> great, now I have a system where I can actually ask questions and it's quick and easy for me to do so compared to having to wait 30 minutes on the phone. So they ask a lot more questions. And there are some cases where we've seen them get deployed where the number of notifications or the burden increases, right? There's other cases where we've seen they've been designed really kind of cognizantly and kind of designed in conjunction with the people who are they're supposed to benefit, where they are actually deflecting 50, 60, 70% of all of the incoming questions that, that those individuals get right now and actually freeing up a lot of their time. So Manava, let's talk a little bit more about how you build these answers because you have to teach the, the chatbot how to answer the question. We talked about it earlier, the, the process, the complexity of data input, data output. But you come to my clinic, you say, what do you need from me to build out enough of a backbone to answer the questions that are kind of coming to my clinic? Because they're going to be more, spe- they're going to be somewhat shared by another clinic, but for the most part, they're going to be more specific. What's the answer? Sure. There's some some clinics where they have a list of all of the common questions that they get asked that they've already pulled because they've done the analysis of how much time is my staff really spending on answering questions that our patients have. Question lists like that are kind of gold standard of what makes for a successful implementation of a chatbot or any sort of conversational system. In other cases, it's not nearly as clean as that. So if you think about it, going back to the initial point, what are chatbots really good for? They're good for information transfer. So taking a lot of the different sources of information that are currently used to guide patients through some form of a healthcare episode in your clinic. That's handouts, it's brochures, it's FAQ lists that they may get to take home, it's their discharge packet, as well as lots of just pieces of educational material that I'm sure you, you have in the clinic directly. Then being able to convert that into data that is very easily ingestible by the system that is going to actually determine the input and the output every single time, structuring it as questions and answers, and then using that as, as a training set. We found that data sets like that are, are immensely powerful as long as they can be structured the right way. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, a, it's also a very clever way of addressing that issue. It's like, how do you collect all this information? It makes it more scalable than trying to write these out one by one. Okay, so where are we going with 
the future of chatbots. What kind of chatbots are going to be interfacing with me in, say, five or 10 years? Sure. So two parts to that. First is implementing what we've done so far at scale. We've started to see value. We've done it in small settings. Now let's continue doing it at a bigger scale so that it can kind of show the broader population just the promise of having systems like this in place. It's valuable for patients, valuable for physician offices, valuable for everybody, right? Second is, if you think a little bit historically around, you know, a lot of people say, it should be easy to get all of this data. It does exist somewhere. The fact and reality of the matter is that this data historically has never been actually used in the right way. And then second, as a result, hasn't been structured in ways that are easy to extract, right? So with the rise of chatbots, with the rise of lots of different data-driven processes and systems that technology is starting to touch, we're seeing that all of those harder parts that chatbots navigate of, you know, symptom management in healthcare or being able to reschedule a flight automatically without having to get on the phone with an agent at all, right? The data sets for that are starting to become much more robust. And as a result, in very controlled and kind of experimental settings, we're seeing that chatbots are being applied to a lot more just complex conversations. And the future of chatbots very much is let's continue to build really comprehensive data sets that allow us to use these sorts of conversational systems. And at the end of the day, platforms that really continue to learn from all the different inputs that they get to digitize all these different processes and, and be able to alleviate a lot of the different burden that workforce faces right now. Yeah, and right now, and today, the workforce challenges that we're facing are very have become very, very real. We're looking at 400,000, shortage of 400,000 medical assistants in the United States by, by 2025. It's and, a and I mean, tremendous like, number. Yeah, the, the reality is also that like, you know, people are just exhausted, right? It's been a really tough two years navigating COVID. And day to day, if you're a nurse and you went to through several years of school as a nurse, you have to sit there and answer the same exact question in a patient portal every single day for five different patients. It's frustrating. And it only adds to, to that burnout that you feel. Excellent. So chatbots is a way to alleviate the complexity, the burden, and the repetitive tasks in healthcare, their ability to learn from the information that has been fed to them. And that information data set is going to become increasingly large and accurate. Therefore, the, the information that can be pulled from it will be largely increasingly able to answer more and more complex questions. It's really a promising future for this technology. So Last few words, I want to get a little bit to your company first, but if anybody wants to implement a digital solution like this, a chatbot technology for their clinics, what should they be thinking about? And three, three bullet points you think they should be considering as they look at uh, what problem they need to solve. So first is just the 80-20 principle. Find the things that are low-hanging fruit that add tremendously to the burden that your organization faces right now that you can easily address, right? Don't try to do every single thing at once. Focus on the ones that are really simple and will give your staff plus your users a lot of confidence. That's the first piece. Second is think a lot about just cleanliness of data in terms of how do you make sure that if you want a system to be able to think and respond the same exact way that your highly trained professionals do, what is the depth of data that you need? Train those systems the same exact way that you needed to train all those people over several years. And then third is be able to think just really critically about the experience that you want in the healthcare world patients, but outside of that, just consumers to have using systems like this. 
there are some cases where it doesn't make sense to use chatbots, where you want a very high-touch personalized experience for maybe a particularly vulnerable healthcare population, right? And for the folks that are not vulnerable, you use a chatbot to be able to reach, still reach out to them and you focus on the folks that actually need some form of higher touch. And just think very cognizantly around, if I was in their shoes, what experience do I really want to have every single time I interact with the organization? Right. Exactly. Great bullet points there. Thank you for that. Yeah. And the whole chatbot space is moving so fast. We're seeing it uh, widely adopted in uh, in mental health. It's had quite a, tra- a lot of traction. And we're going to be looking at seeing, seeing some very interesting applications where the chatbots power digital humans. And we'll talk about that in a different podcast. It's a very interesting way to think about how do we, the user interface to the artificial intelligence, if you will. Very exciting stuff. Well, thank you for that work you're doing. And so tell us a little bit about the company you lead. Sure. So very high level. Memora is M-E-M-O-R-A. Yes. M-E-M-O-R-A Health is a four-year-old venture-backed technology company. What we do is we help healthcare organizations go through a lot of the processes that we talked about on this call of digitizing a lot of different complex care workflows and helping organizations meet patients where they are. So we'll take a lot of existing guidelines that they have on how they want to be able to communicate with their patients and then convert them into these messaging journeys where we do a combination of automatically reminding patients around different steps that they need to follow, sending them instructions, educational material, reminders, all the way to much more complex surveys, chatbot functionality where collecting inputs and using that to give them some intelligent output, kind of everything in between. So most of the, the time working with healthcare organizations and healthcare systems and I've worked with a little over 50 now across the country. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, man. You've done really great work. You guys got a huge round recently. Congratulations on all the work you've done. Thank you for sharing your insights into the applications of Chatbot, where we can reap benefits from them, where the future is going to lie, and with our audience. And thank you for that. And look forward to talking to you soon, maybe chatting, catching up with you in a little while, see how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Vinny. Thanks for the conversation. I hope you enjoyed our podcast, exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you liked what you heard, follow us on Twitter at dhealthtoday, that's dhealthtoday altogether, and follow the Digital Orthopedics Conference I chair at thedocsf, that's at the D-O-C-S-F. See you on the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today. Where are you having some good successes? Where else are you working at? Yeah, some of the big ones for us recently have been down the street, Stanford. Nice. Mayo. Mayo, good. Yeah, Penn continues to be a, a kind of a quarter flagship customer for us, which has been been great. And, and several others, I think that we're starting now expand beyond just the world of academic health systems. So focusing on community systems where, hey, we've built this best-in-class care workflow and care pathway. Instead of having to recustomize it every time, like use this data-driven adoption process. Yeah. So I think that that, that motion has been... been starting to, to perform pretty well. And, and, you know, we've been spending a little time with health plans as well, where they have some sort of care management effort that they're spinning up, need some form of a digitized or kind of well-built complex care pathway that we're able to deploy. Yeah. So you come in with a pre-existing path and then you tweak it a bit more than, than, than de novo work. Is that what I'm hearing? Instead of starting from scratch, you're starting at like 80, 85%, making yeah. some, like site-specific tweaks and not deploying quickly. Yeah. And are you doing anything there in the patient engagement stuff around perioperative care pathways, that kind of thing? Yeah. So the, the four big buckets for us are oncology, ortho, OB, and 
cardiology mm. for pretty apparent reasons of they're extremely resource intensive for the organization in a pretty short period of time for the patient, right? So it's like a four, six, eight, 10 week transitional period that a patient goes through where there's a ton of information that they need to absorb just to be able to manage their care. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's extremely valuable to just make sure that they get all the education that they need as comprehensively as possible. Patients do love it. I've written about this. I've written papers about that. People do love that interface. They think it's they think it's a physician type, you know, yeah. reaching out to them at 10 o'clock at night. It's amazing. Okay, I mean, it's like we, we'd love to, but we can't. Yeah, it's like a, it's an attention thing too, right? Like generally, it's so hard to get in touch with your doctor's office. And now you feel like I can do whatever I want. Oh yeah, we uh, we document with with our platform a one and a half hour turnaround time on average. That's very quick for a healthcare system. Usually, call and two days later get an answer or something. Okay. Yeah.